You know in that, that passage in the Bible where it says to you that uh, an elder should be, um, have his family under control? <coughs> well, my wife just insulted me and my son insulted me and said, here, your highness, as he gave me a, a glass of water. <coughs> Thanks, son. Good, good. So it's good to know that my family... Are, what's that you say, Keegan? He's just like I was as a child. Thanks, Keegan. <coughs> Thanks. Um, I want to ask you a question. Uh, who enjoys going to the swimming pool and being dunked by another person? Anyone? No, I hate it. I really hate that feeling of being shoved under the wall by someone else. Um, uh, who enjoys going to a funeral? No? No? All right, Peter. Yeah, okay. You're the, the, uh, you're the special one. Good, nice. Um, who enjoys getting in a, uh, a big bath of water that's so cold that I'm sure it's been piped from the Arctic? No? 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 Good. Okay, well, for a Christian, right, right, we go through all of those things, all right, and it is not just something we do, it is in fact the best day of our lives, Amen. right? So we are a bit weird, all right, and this morning I want to talk about this thing called baptism, okay? Because I think that the church, as a church, we need to think about this subject of baptism. It's great, isn't it? We've had so many uh, brilliant speakers over the past few weeks, Tano and David and Hannah, who have all been fantastic. Um, and uh, as I said last time, when I, the nice thing is, is that when you've got other speakers who are really bringing these fantastic words, it means that when I speak, uh, I can really focus on speaking about things that I think as a church we need to be thinking about. And this morning, I want us to think about water baptism and why it is so important and why I think there are many people in the church who are not yet baptised, but I think really ought to be. Um, and this is for a few reasons. There's a few reasons why I really want to focus on baptism uh, for us as a church. The first is, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but our church is getting bigger, which is fantastic. But we're not just interested in transferring people from one church to another church. That's great. Uh, it's good that, that those people want to come and be part of what we're doing. Um, but really, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 says this, that as a church, our responsibility as Christians is to do this, go and make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We often like to talk about the going uh, and the making disciples, but baptism is just as an important part of that sentence or that little paragraph as anything else. Uh, and I think we uh, uh, you know, need to think more seriously about this as a church. I've been here two years now as the church leader, um, and we have baptised nobody, right? Now, that is not because people are not getting uh, saved. That's not because people aren't coming to Christ, it's because we have maybe got a little bit woolly or a little bit kind of confused about the importance of what water baptism is. And so I really want this morning just to emphasise it, I suppose, and highlight it to us and to remind us that it's so important because on Easter Sunday, that's about two months from today-ish, uh, we are going to have a, a baptism, or we're going to get out the baptistry pool, which in a place like this is far more complicated than you think it is, because um, we've got to buy a pool and then we've got to buy a heater, because we don't want you to freeze when you get into the water. Um, and uh, we're going to have some baptisms and an amazing celebration on Easter Sunday. Um, 
And so this morning I'm speaking about that as, a, as partly for those people that maybe don't know what baptism is, don't know what's involved so that they would understand. But I also want us who are believers to understand why it is so important and why it's something we should be talking about and thinking about as a church. Okay, so I'm going to answer a few uh, simple questions I really this morning. Things like, well, what is baptism? Why is baptism important? It's part of salvation. How do we know if someone's ready to be baptised? Etc, uh, etc, et those kind of questions. So, my first question is this. You right there, Chris? I was getting his drink. Samson, remember to take your drink with you, because this happens every week. Um, So first of all, what is baptism? Well, we don't have a word, baptism is actually a Greek word, right? We don't have the word baptism really in English, right? I, I, I challenge you to find the word baptism in any normal sentence in English where it doesn't relate to being Christian. Other than the idea of baptism of fire, which is still the same idea of of dunking. We don't have a word. It's a Greek word. Uh, They would have baptised pieces of cloth and things like that. Okay, It's really simple. The better word would be translated things that begin with D or things that begin with S. So, for example, drench, dip, dunk, duck, uh, douse, deluge. Those are the kind of English words that mean baptism. And the S's are soak, sink, swamp, steep, saturate, right? They are the English version of what it means to be baptised, okay? The idea of baptism is about submersion. It's about putting something underneath water and bringing it back up again. Now, the way we do that in our church is we fill up a pool of water, uh, hopefully with some form of heater, so it's not freezing cold. Um, and, uh, but sometimes it happens in other places, doesn't it, Angela? This is a picture of Angela's baptism, right? In the rain, in a river, right? Okay, because I don't know why we did it in a river, but we did it. I don't know why she wanted to get baptised in the river. Uh, but it was freezing cold, wasn't it? In Devon, in the pouring rain, and she got baptised there. Um, and what we do is we pray for them, and then we basically dunk them underwater. And I, I, I don't know if the sound will work. If there's sound, is there sound attached to this? All right. Because um, I, I managed to, I phoned my mum up this week. I said, Mum, do you have the video of my baptism? Right? Okay. And uh, of course, it was only on VHS, right? Okay. Because it was that long ago. Um, have, have you got any sound plugged in? Right. So this is, this is my baptism. This is my dad uh, baptising me. Let's hope it should just kick in. Is it going to work? There we are. Timothy, from the confession of your faith, I baptise you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Oh, there we are. That's right, it's done. There we are. Great, isn't it? Right? Dead simple, right? I got dunked, right? Doused, right? Uh, what was the word? Steeped, saturated in water, right? Quite simple. It's not a complicated thing. Someone dunks you under and brings you up again. But it's, it, is a, it is an incredibly significant event. Now, I don't know if you realise this, but our world is dominated by a scientific way of thinking about things. We think about everything in terms of science, right? It's just how we're taught these days, right? And so we have this belief that that basically uh, anything physical is essentially scientific and anything spiritual is essentially internal and feeling-y, yeah? 
So we, we think that, you know, uh, and I've heard many people say that baptism is very symbolic. It's nothing more than a symbol of, you know, the, the work that's happened inside of us. But when you look back at how the Jews and how Jesus thought about things, you realise that they didn't separate the physical and the scientific from the spiritual in the way that we do. The two things were very much linked. Let me just give you a few simple examples. Jesus was God, yeah? But what did Jesus become? A man. He became flesh. Right? He was a spiritual being who became human in order to accomplish something spiritual. It was physical. He had to die physically in order to accomplish something spiritually. The two were not separated. Um, when the, number, the number of stories that we read of um, in, the, in the New Testament where illness or sickness was treated as a spiritual condition, not just a physical condition. And the, and the solution to the physical condition was dealing with the spiritual issue. Yeah? So Jesus and the disciples really understood that the, the physical and the spiritual were connected. And this is really important. And I've already mentioned this. Jesus' physical death on the, comp, on the cross accomplished a huge victory in the spiritual. Now, we can get sucked into this sort of way of thinking that therefore, what we, because in our scientific way, that what happens physically doesn't matter, it's all inward. But I suppose I believe that the Bible commands a number of physical activities which have a spiritual implication. And we mustn't downplay the importance of the spiritual event that occurs when the physical happens. So an example would be the laying on of the hands. Right? It says, lay on your hands to pray for the sick. Why does it say, why do you need to lay, lay on the hands? I think it's because there is something that is communicated in that event that is spiritual. Right? Uh, we are told to anoint with oil. Why, why not just pray for the sick? Why anoint them with oil? It's because clearly there is something that happens when we anoint with oil to pray for the sick. Uh, there's, there's a lot about uh, physical positions of prayer. We know we can pray in any position, but there is something that is significant about getting on your knees to pray or lifting up holy hands, as it says. I pray everywhere that men that everywhere would lift up holy hands. There's something, when we do things physically, they have an impact spiritually. Communion is another example. Jesus said, take this bread and this, this wine and eat it, not just as a symbol, but you are partaking of my life. There is something more about these acts than just simply physical symbols that remind us of what God is doing. I believe there is spiritual power attached to them. And I believe that's exactly the same with water baptism. Baptism is a physical act with a spiritual effect. Do you know there are 31 passages in the New Testament where um, they talk about baptising people and in almost every case it is not about what man is doing for God, it is about what the Lord or God is doing in people at baptism. Do you understand that? So it's not, when they talk about baptism in the New Testament, they're not talking about it as a symbolic event, they're talking about it as a moment where God does something for us. That's significant and it's important because I suppose in my, uh, in my thinking, if you think about baptism as simply symbolic, there's no necessity to get on with it, which is probably why we haven't done much with it over the last couple of years because we don't recognise the power that things that are spiritual or physical in that way can have on someone's spiritual life because if we did, we'd have done it a lot earlier. 
Do you see what I'm saying? And I really believe, and that, that I really want us to get that those that have been Christians for a long time, if you take nothing else, if you've been, because many of you have been baptised this morning, and so you're going to switch off at some point and think, well, I know all this, right? But if you take one thing away as a Christian this morning, understand this, that things that are spiritual, sorry, things that are physical can have a significant spiritual impact. Do not just think that things that are physical are completely separate from the things that are spiritual. Yeah? Amen. Good. Uh, and I could quote things in the Old Testament. Noah's Ark, the Moses basket, parting of the Red Sea, uh, the people of Israel crossing the, um, the River Jordan, Jonah's three days in the belly of a fish. They were physical activities that had a spiritual implication. So hopefully you've got my first point. Baptism matters. We have to take it seriously in the life of an ordinary believer. So why then is baptism so significant? The first thing is this. It's our Christian funeral. It's our Christian funeral. Yeah? Now, funerals, doesn't matter where you go, all around the world, funerals are significant and important, aren't they? Right? Um, it's, you know, that's why if, there's a, if a plane goes down, right, and bodies are lost, often it's very hard to complete the grieving process because you haven't been able to bury or cremate the body. There is something important about the idea uh, of a funeral. It, it is not... You know, when, when you have a funeral, it's not that the person dies at their point of their funeral. It's, it's a point of expressing the completeness of, that, of, his, of the end of that person's life. They are now dead. They're gone. They're not coming back. It's, it's almost a, a moment that says it's finished, doesn't it? You know, it, I, I don't know about you, but when I've uh, had to go to funerals of people that I've loved dearly, you often feel quite uh, upset, don't you, up until the point of the end of the funeral. And almost once the funeral's done... The after party is actually a much more positive affair, isn't it? Because almost you feel like it's finished now, we can move on. And, and I think that baptism is like that for us as Christians. Yeah, it has this kind of final moment where we're like, I can move on now. I'm done with what was behind. I can now start again. So as a Christian, we have to say things like, I believe that Jesus died and was crucified for me. We have to say, right... Uh, Jesus, was, uh, Jesus was buried and Jesus rose from the dead. We have to say those things. But when we are baptised, we aren't just saying, yes, I believe in historical fact. We are saying, I was crucified with Jesus. I was buried with Jesus. I went down into the water, which is symbolic of being buried. And as Jesus rose from the dead, as I come back up out of that water, I too have risen with him. Do you see? It is a symbolic, significant moment. And it moves our faith from being just an idea or a kind of a thought in our head to a real physical reality that, yes, I have died with Jesus. I have gone down into the water and I have risen again with him. Do you see? It's significant. You see... It is so important, like, you know, Peter, uh, Peter and Rebecca are getting married in the summer, yeah? Uh, Peter, and they're, <coughs> they're not here this morning, uh, but they're getting married in the summer. That doesn't mark the beginning of their love, does it? Their love hasn't started at their wedding. If it does start at their wedding, they might have a problem, yeah? It marks the completion of their love. It marks the, the, the end of an old chapter and the beginning of a new chapter. And it's the consummation, it's like the, the final moment of that point where we, uh, when they say, I am now yours forever. And that's what baptism is. It's basically saying, Jesus, 
I'm yours forever. I'm now completely, 100%, forever and ever, I'm with you. I wasn't what I was before, I'm now something different. And it's not just symbolic, I believe it has a spiritual impact. And I read a, a story, um, it's from a guy called David Portion, and he tells of a story uh, that he knows, it's a real story, it's not just a made-up one. Um, and he, uh, he knew a guy who was a Baptist minister, and this Baptist minister... Um, grew up with another guy uh, and they, they grew up as kids and they were really good friends as children but as so often happens they got separated uh, and you know one this one guy went on to become a Baptist minister got his life together and was doing great but the other friend wasn't doing so well and in fact he was doing so badly that he was contemplating suicide uh, and he was really just in a really bad place and he thought to and he suddenly had this thought he said if I can find my friend that I grew up with Right? Then if I can get to him, I know he will help me. That's the Holy Spirit putting something into his heart. But he didn't know how to contact him. I think this was days pre-Facebook. Yeah? Um, and so he couldn't go on Facebook and find out where someone lived. And I think maybe even been pre-internet. Pre um, and so uh, he went, uh, as you do, uh, to a medium, to a spiritualist. Uh, and said basically to this medium, can you tell me where my friend is? And so um, the spiritualist, the medium, uh, looked at, I don't know, whether it was a crystal ball or whatever they do, um, and said, yes, I can, I can tell you, I can tell you the house where your friend lives. And she described it with vivid detail about the house that this man lived in, this Baptist minister. And she described the trees and the park and where it was. In, I think she said it's in North London. She knew that. But she said, I'm really sorry. I've got to tell you something. Your friend has died. He's dead. And I can tell you the date. And she told him the exact date that he had died. And so the man, this friend was devastated. He thought, oh, you know, what am I going to do now? And, and, but he thought, well, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go and try and find the place where this guy lived. Uh, maybe I can talk to his wife or his family or something, you know. And so he goes up to London and he searches around and eventually he manages to find this description and he knocks on the house of the man that, uh, that lives there and he opens the door. And who do you think opens the door? The Baptist minister. And the Baptist minister says, you know, Hello, it's good to see you. This man, they sit down and, and they start talking. And this man says, I, I went to a medium to find you. And, uh, and, and it's, you know, and he, but she told me really specifically that you were dead. And she told me the date that you died. And the man and the Baptist minister said, well, what, what date was it that you died, that, that she said? And he told him the date. And what date do you think it was? The date of his baptism. You see, you might not realise it, right? But the spiritual world registers you at that point as dead. Satan says, it's done. Can't touch him anymore. Doesn't belong to me anymore. I believe at that moment, there is something that happens that writes you off. At that point, you're in, in the devil's eyes, you're dead to me. I can irritate you, I can annoy you, but I cannot control you any longer. Because the power of Jesus, as you die with him, your life transfers to you. Yeah? Amen. So that's the, the first reason that we need to uh, be uh, baptised, because it's a Christian funeral. The second reason is that baptism is a spiritual bath, right? Um, if those of us that have got young children, particularly boys, they need regular baths, okay? All right? Because they need to get clean, because they are dirty. But you know, when we come to Jesus, we are spiritually dirty. We are. 
We've done so many things wrong. We've, we've offended God, we've offended other people, we've done things that we regret, we, we're ashamed of, and we are spiritually dirty and unclean. But in this process of baptism, I believe there is a washing away of the guilt of all of that sin. And I want to be really clear with you, right? Baptism isn't doing the thing. Jesus is doing the thing, right? Getting baptised is not the way that your sins are forgiven. It's the, it, it, Jesus forgives your sins. Do you understand? Jesus is the one that brings you to life. Not baptism in and of itself, right? But baptism, in a sense, I think is part of the means that Jesus is used to do this. And I want to tell you another story about the way in which um, sometimes, uh, you know, our s- baptism is the washing of our sins. Uh, and it was, again, it was the same guy, David Pawson, who obviously has a lot of stories about people that got baptised. Um, and he knew a story. He, he actually, I think, baptised this guy. And a guy got saved, and he was from the Hells Angels. Do you guys know what the Hells Angels are? Right, the Hells Angels are a biker gang, right? And this guy was covered with tattoos, okay? Um, which wasn't necessarily a problem, but he knew that when you, you know, let's be honest, don't, ladies, if you get baptised, don't wear white T-shirts. Just want to say, right, okay? Because if you wear a white T-shirt, you become see-through, right, okay? Um, and so he understood that he, he wanted to get baptised in white, but he knew that when he did, that his tattoos would become really obvious. And, and he was okay with that, apart from one tattoo, which was a tattoo of the devil, he had, was a hell's angel, so he had a tattoo of the devil. So he thought, I can't, cannot get baptised with a tattoo of the devil, right? And so he went to, um, he went to uh, the doctors and he went to a surgeon to remove tattoos. And the surgeon said, you can't do that under national health. Right? You can't get your tattoo removed from national health. It's, not, it's cosmetic, it's not medical. Uh, and he said, you can pay for it privately, but the cost privately would, would have been uh, expensive and it would have taken a long time. Uh, and so the guy just decided, well, I'm just going to have to get baptised. I'm just going to have to get baptised as it is, right? So this guy goes to baptism. Uh, he goes to bury his past, to wash away his sins. He goes down in the water. He comes up. And what do you think has been washed away? Not all the tattoos, just the tattoo, that one tattoo of the devil has been washed from his back. It's a spiritual event. These things have spiritual significance. It was ordinary H2O water, but God used it to wash his child clean. And it's a spiritual, we have to realise that when we go down to that water and we come up again, we can stand at that moment and say, all of my sins are forgiven, my guilt is washed away, I am clean, I am completely clean. Amen. And I think it's so important for Christians to do that, to know I am clean. I have been forgiven. There is nothing that I have done that Jesus has not dealt with. Amen. Amen. So you might ask this question then. Well, if I don't get baptised, does that mean I'm not saved? So that's a good question to ask. If I'm not baptised, you know, I know some people that, that have been Christians and they were good Christians and they didn't get baptised. I'm sure they must have gone to heaven. Well, this is my answer to that. We know that Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, he was nailed to a cross. There was a, a guy next to him and was called the thief. He was a thief and a robber. And he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm sorry, I forgive me. And Jesus says to him what? What does Jesus say to him? Today, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, that guy did not get down off the cross, 
get into a baptism pool, get out of the baptism pool, get back on the cross and die and go to heaven. We know that that didn't happen, right? But Jesus says, you can now be with me in heaven. So we need to be clear, right, that baptism is not a hard and fast requirement for salvation. However, right, that man was dying. He was dying. Right? He would not live on, and therefore we shouldn't consider that activity as normal. Right? Right? That was a, a, an example. So it can happen without baptism, but that should not be the normal way that things happen. You know, I think it's so important that the normal part of our Christian experience is that we, as we'll see in a minute, we repent, we believe, and we are baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit. That is what should happen for the normal believer. And if we don't do that, there is a danger as a Christian we live on without the power that God wants to give to us. Amen? We live on without something that God wants us to, to go through. Equally, and this is really important, baptism by no means guarantees salvation alone. Right? Because without, as we'll see in a minute, genuine faith and real repentance, baptism accomplishes nothing. Right? right? This is basically, right, we can go down and we can come up and all we've got is wet. Right? It's really, and that's why simply just saying a prayer, right, and being baptized without the continuation of faith, I don't believe counts for anything. Right? Because really, baptism is the consummation, it's the final finishing moment of what's already taken place. Do you understand? And I think that's really important. We, we have to be careful that we don't make people think that if they're not baptized, they can't be a Christian. But equally, we have to realize that just getting baptized doesn't make you a Christian. Yeah? So, the next question in my head, because, you know, my head's quite logical. So we know what baptism is. Uh, we know why baptism is important. We know that we don't necessarily have to be saved to be baptised, but we really should. The next question is this. So, what do I need to do to be baptised? What are the requirements that I have to do to be baptised? So I'd like us to look at just um, uh, the, the first baptism service in the early church, and it was a big one. 3,000 people in one day. Um, so it says this, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 39. Uh, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So Peter has just preached the most powerful sermon in the history of, well, other than Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which probably was a bit better, right? Other than that, this was pretty much the best sermon ever preached, right? If you talk about conversions, 3,000 in one day, that's pretty good going, right? When there's no, there was no big band, and imagine there was no PA, Right? No, he had to do it without any, any amplification. There was no music group playing in the background right, to kind of work the emotions. This was the power of the Holy Spirit operating on people. And, you know, he's preached this amazing sermon and people, it says, were cut to the heart. They said, what do we have to do? We realise we've made a big mistake in crucifying Jesus. What do we do about it? And Peter gives them this answer. Repent. And be baptised. Repent and be baptised. You know, there wasn't a lengthy baptism course of six weeks, of kind of an hour each week where we go through all of the, the ins and outs, 
right? There wasn't a requirement that you had to uh, prove that your behaviour had been really good for nine months before we could consider baptising you. There wasn't conditions about the state of your life and the way that things were organised in your home before they get baptised. In, in one day, they said, you can be baptised. So they dunked 3,000 people in one day. And it's really important we think about this, particularly as Christians, thinking about who can get baptised and who can't. The requirements for baptism are way less complicated sometimes than we think they are. Right? Really, they are two things, as I'm going to say. Right? What must I do to be baptised? We're going to talk about this in more detail. We believe and we repent. That's it. That's all Peter says. He says the only thing you've got to do is repent and be baptised. And they'd because they'd already believed. Their belief was in the statement, we believe, what do we do about it? The response is repent and be baptised. And you see that again and again and again. Mark chapter 16, John chapter 3, Acts chapter 22, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. Baptism is part of simply believing, repenting and going on with God. So what does it mean then to uh, basically believe and repent? Let, let's talk that through a little bit more. Um, so let's understand the, these two concepts. Well, firstly, you need to believe that Jesus is who he says he is historically, right? Our belief is not just based on a feeling, right? If you believe in Jesus, you're not just believing because you have a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling or a philosophy. There was a guy called Jesus who lived on the earth. He walked around. He died on a cross. He lived a perfect life uh, and he was crucified on a cross. He died and he rose again and he appeared to people after he died and he ascended into heaven in order that we might have eternal life. Belief means that we believe in those facts. We're not believing in some vague idea that I kind of like God and he's a nice guy and you know, maybe God loves me and like, you know, I'll kind of follow that. It is a belief in the historical Jesus. But it's more than just believing facts. It is a having a deep personal experience of that, of that faith. Right? And I want to give you an example of this. Right? There are many of us in this room who feel that they need to lose a pound or two. Right? And I, and I hold my hand up. Uh, I know that my wife tells me I need to lose some weight. Okay? Right? Now, I know, right, that if I want to lose weight, a really good way of doing that is going on a diet. Right? Okay? So the first level of belief that I can have in my desire to lose weight is to believe that di- there are such things as diets. I believe that, yes, there are Slimming World diets, there are uh, Slim Fast diets, there are Weight Watchers diets, there are Atkins diets, there is Joe Wicks and his diet, yeah? There are, you know, all of these diets, they exist, don't they? We know that diets exist. Does it do me any good to know that diets exist? No. How about this then, right? I believe that diets exist, and I believe that if I were to follow one, it would be really good for me, and that I would lose weight and be more healthy. Right? I really believe in diets. I think diets really work, Tano. Do you know what? I think diets are absolutely amazing. Has it done me any good at all? Has it done me any good? If only it would, right? We'd all be the perfect size, yeah? Okay, whatever that is, there is no perfect size, by the way, right? But we would all be, because just having a belief in an idea, just having a belief that it's a good idea, doesn't mean anything. The only thing that's going to make any difference is when I believe it enough to actually start following it and to actually start living by the rules of that diet and putting my trust in the diet. 
by putting my trust in the diet. The only thing that's going to make me lose weight is having an active believing faith. And so that's what it means to believe in Jesus. It doesn't just mean to believe that Jesus existed. It doesn't just mean to believe that Jesus is a good, good guy who loves you. You can believe those things and not really believe. The evidence of belief is saying, I believe so much that I'm going to start putting my trust in him. I'm going to start saying that every decision I make is going to be in line with what he would want for me. I'm not going to try and fix my own life. I'm going to ask God to help me fix my life. Amen? This is what it means to believe. And if you want to get baptised, it's really simple. You've just got to have that attitude and that heart which says, I will believe. So that's the first one, belief. The second is this then, repentance. We need to do more than just believe. We need to repent. And again, this is a word which doesn't really occur in the English language. We don't really talk about repentance in an English uh, dictionary. And people get the idea of repentance really wrong. Okay? When I, uh, um, <clears throat> uh, my wife goes out uh, and says to me when I'm out, can you please do this list of jobs, right? And, and she returns home, and in actual fact, all I've done is watch the telly uh, and watched England play on the rugby or football, right? At that moment, I feel very sorry, yeah? That is not repentance, that's called regret, yeah? Okay? When you do something bad and you feel sorry because you got caught, that's not repentance, that's regret. There's a difference. And many people come to God and they say, oh God, I really regret the things I've done. That's not repentance. It won't lead you to the place that God needs you to be. You know, you can go even one step further than that and you can say, well, I realise that actually I don't just regret it because I got in trouble and I got shouted at in the nicest possible way. Um, <clears throat> I regret because actually I feel really bad that Helen now has to do the jobs that I was meant to do and didn't do. And I can feel bad for the impact that I've had on someone else. Can't I? But that's still not repentance. Repentance is when you realise that the person you have sinned most against is God. He's the one that you've really messed up with. He's the one who is most hurt and offended by your sin. He's the one who you've disobeyed and chosen to do your own thing rather than do his thing. He's the one to whom you've said, I'm God of my life, thanks God, not you. And godly repentance is realising that fact. And when you realise that you have sinned against God, that's the point when you realise, actually, I've got to give up myself. I've got to go to my own funeral and I've got to let God take over and take control. I want to give you an example of this um, because repentance means changing direction. So you, repentance isn't just, oh, I'm sorry, I regret what I've done. Repentance is turning around in a different way and walking in the opposite direction. And when we're sorry, we can be sorry, as my kids are so often sorry for things that they've done, and possibly even me with my jobs list. Um, I feel sorry that I got caught, I feel sorry that I got in trouble, but I'm still going to do the same thing again next time. Repentance says, I feel bad, I regret it, and I'm going to be different next time. And, it, and, it, and I'm going to need the power of God to do that. So I was thinking about a situation that, that might be relevant to this. Well, an example of this is, is if you have a problem with gossip, if you have a problem with talking about people behind their back, right? And you know there's a difference between talking about people behind their back in a positive way and talking about people behind their back 
in a, in a really negative way, right? Sometimes we have conversations about our children. That's not gossip, right? That's called having a conversation, right? But when I'm sitting there and going, Keegan, do you know what Lauren did, right? I don't even know if it's true, but it sounds like the kind of thing Lauren would do, right? And what it is, it's really awful. She's just terrible, right? You should have seen the state of her, right? She was wrecked, yeah? Right? Or whatever it might be. Even though I've got no evidence, that's just gossip, right? And the intention of me sharing that information with Keegan is for no other end than simply to make myself feel better, right, about how rubbish she is and really to make everyone else think that she's worse than she actually is, right? That's not right. And let's be honest, right? It happens more in the church and it happens more on the school gate and on the playground than it should. So let's think about this in terms of repentance to understand how repentance works. The first thing that we realise is not just that our negative words have you know, got us into trouble when Sally finds out that I've been saying, Sally tells Lauren that I've been saying it, right? Okay, and Lauren comes to me and says, and Lauren says, what have you been saying to me? And I suddenly feel guilty that I've suddenly got caught. That's not repentance. Repentance says I realise that actually the person that I've been speaking negatively about is a daughter of God and she's valuable and she's precious and I've just maligned her and lied about her and criticised her and actually the person I've done that to is Jesus who's hanging on the cross because of my sin and my failure and my mistakes and I realise that actually I can no longer talk unkindly like that to people because that's just not what I do anymore. It's not who I am anymore. And so we see that there's a change of the way we think about the situation. The second thing we realise is that no longer do we uh, just think differently about it. We, we talk differently. Yeah? So we actually, instead of saying, Keegan, did you hear about how awful Lauren is? We say, Keegan, did you hear about how amazing Lauren is? About how terrific she is? About how wonderful she is? It's different. We're different, aren't we? Repentance is being different. We begin to speak in love rather than speaking negatively. And so the third thing we do, we don't, just, we don't just think differently, we don't just talk differently, we act differently. We make amends for the things we have done wrong. So we actually, I go to Lauren and I say, Lauren, do you know what? I've said some stuff about you that was wrong and it was unkind and it was all out of the wrong motivation. I just want to say I'm sorry and I want to apologise to you and I want to front up to it and I want to tell you that I'm going to be different in the future. I act differently. Repentance has a mental, a verbal, and a physical action and outworking to it. It's not enough to say, yeah, sorry, I feel bad. If we're really repentant, we are different. And so those are the markers. This is the question that I've got for you. If you want to be baptised, are you saying, um, you may not be perfect, you may not be getting it all right, but if in your heart you're saying, do you know what, Jesus, I want to put my trust in you completely. I want to trust you with my life. I want to follow you all the days of my life then you believe. And if in your heart you know that there are things that you have done wrong, and not just a vague idea that I maybe made some mistakes in the past, but if you know there are things where your life has not been right with God, and you turn around and you say, God, I'm sorry, I'm going to change, my actions are different, then you are repentant in your heart towards God. So there is no reason why you cannot be baptised on that basis. You know, being baptised doesn't mean that the moment you're baptised, your life is somehow perfect. You saw my baptism, didn't you? Right? 20 years ago, whatever it was, right? My wife will tell you, I have not attained perfection since that point. I have still sinned. I have still made mistakes. 
I've still let people down. I've still let God down. I've still at times even wavered in my belief towards God. But I knew at that point God did something in my life. And, you know, my, 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 my dad says that, you know, Keegan just joked about me being a naughty little boy, right? Okay, and, um, <clears throat> and, uh, and I was a naughty little boy, not to go over that boring old story again, but I was quite naughty and I was quite difficult. In fact, in secondary school, I got called in at the end of year eight and they said to me, if you carry on, we're going to kick you out right? That's what they said to me, right? They said, we're going to kick you out. My head of year sat down and said, you are on my list, right? And, and I was, I was on, in trouble. And I, and I went through this process. And somewhere in the period, I think it would have been about year nine, I would have been about 13, 14, I got baptised. And you know, my parents' testimony was, at that point, something changed. I be- responded to God when I was 10, and I believed in Jesus, but something changed at my baptism. I didn't feel any different. I got up out of the water, and I was cold, right? Yeah? And I was wet, right? Okay? And I didn't feel any different. But my life changed because I believe when that happened that something happened in me. I think there was a spiritual action that completed what God had begun in me. Yeah? And so I want to just just say to you, if you want to be baptised and you are not, I would encourage you to do so because I think it is the most beautiful moment in your life. It's even more important to me than the day that I got married. Right? It might not have had as much fanfare and as much celebration, but you know, my marriage will at some point end, right? Because the two of us... (laughs) Let Let me just clarify that, all right? My marriage will end because at some point, death do us part. My death in, in the spiritual has already happened. I've already been to my funeral. I've already been. And so I'm not afraid of whatever happens. You know, Joyce is in hospital, right? And we love Joyce, don't we? And, you know, Joyce is in, is in a situation where, you know, she doesn't know, like, how much longer she's got, but she's not afraid, I was chatting to my aunt, you know, Auntie Iris, right? A really godly lady, right? And uh, she's one of the biggest New Frontiers churches, loud, bang, bang, bang. And she's there, like 90, like hunched over. And she says, I wish the Lord would hurry up and take me. (laughs) She does. She's spent her life because she's not afraid, because she knows she's already died. She's done the death once, she doesn't need to do it again. When her physical body dies, that's not the end, that's just the beginning. And this is what baptism symbolises for us. Why it's so significant. It's your funeral right, and your birth all in the same moment. John chapter 3.16 says, Unless a man is born again of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so I want to just challenge you this morning. If you haven't been baptised, what we're going to do is we'd love to sit down with you, um, uh, maybe on a one-to-one, and just chat through with you, just you know, simply where you feel you're up to. And if you want to be baptised, we want to encourage you to do so. Yeah? Let's stand, shall we?